0: Well, my name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. It's so wonderful to be singing with you and looking at the Word with you. And so if you have a Bible with you, would you please turn to the book of Acts? And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles for you to borrow in these black chair pockets. There should be one near you in the ends of the side aisles. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one, take it with you. We're um, turning to the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament So towards the end, after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and we're turning to Acts chapter 18. The chapter numbers are the big numbers on the page. We're looking for Acts chapter 18. This will also be on the screen behind me. I'll be reading through verse 23. Please follow along with me as I read. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles.' And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household." And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them out from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Cancria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. We pray with me? Our Father, we we quiet our hearts. We quiet our thoughts. We want to attend to you. We want to hear what you have to say. God, this is your word. This book is you speaking. And so we want to we want to turn our hearts to you and hear from you. Father, please give us What you want to give us this morning, give us grace and give us strength and give us hope and give us courage. Come and work. Come and work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know this is going to date me a little, but when I was growing up, when someone said Superman, what they meant was Christopher Reeves from the, the Superman movies of the 70s and the 80s. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen these movies, but one of the ways that, that Superman in these movies concealed his superhero identity as mild-mannered Clark Kent, besides those big glasses which fooled everybody, was that he was incredibly clumsy. Okay? Clark Kent in those movies was a klutz. He was always spilling things and running into things, always apologizing, seeming totally hopeless. He was so inept that no one would ever dream that he was secretly the indestructible, superhuman Man of Steel. And I bring that up because sometimes we, as Christians, we can kind of think of the Apostle Paul as kind of a Bible superhero, that he's larger than life. He's not divine, but just a little bit beyond normal humanity. Tirelessly preaching the gospel from city to city, uh, he's, he's able to pro- compose these profound sermons on the spot, citing scripture after scripture, perfectly from memory right there's a place in the book of acts where he is dragged out of a city stoned left for dead and he just gets up and he walks it off he goes back into town and keeps he keeps going right later in the book of acts there's a place where people take handkerchiefs that have touched paul's skin and they use them to heal people okay paul gets bitten by a poisonous snake and he just shakes it off and we we read these things and we think paul is not like us and and paul in his letters says that he is. He calls himself, he says that I'm weak. He says I'm less than the least of all of God's people. He insists that he's just a fragile vessel, a jar of clay, and that the surpassing power is God's. But we read that, and I think, sometimes we think, that he's just Clark Kenting us, right? He's just pretending to be like the rest of us. He's just acting like a normal human when in reality he has these Bible superpowers that we can never dream of or approach. And we begin to read the book of Acts, not like a history, but like a comic book filled with these unbelievable stories that could never happen in real life, not a story of men and women like us. And when we begin to think like that, it's easy to miss that what gave Paul such boldness, such courage, such endurance in speaking about Jesus was a reality available to all of us. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 18. So, to get what God has for us in this passage, we need to see four things, and you have a, an outline in the back of your bulletin if you picked one up. A relatable experience, a solemn responsibility, an encouraging reality, and a kept promise. So, first, a relatable experience, which is fear. Now, fear is not a word we associate with the Apostle Paul. And yet, in this passage, Paul is preaching, he's testifying. He's not seeing much happen, and Jesus appears to him in a vision, and the first thing Jesus says is, do not be afraid. Paul, afraid. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. So there's a fear that Paul is either experiencing or he's being tempted with that would keep him from speaking, and Jesus appears to him specifically to make sure that doesn't happen, that he keeps speaking. And, and Paul confirms this in a letter that he writes, so this is in Corinth, which is in Greece, and Paul later writes two letters back to this church in Corinth called First and Second Corinthians, they're in the New Testament, and in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, of the time when he appeared, when he came to town, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So Paul didn't come to Corinth full of confidence, full of strength, he came weak and trembling. Why? Well, we need to see what's been happening to Paul to this point. So the book of Acts, if you don't know, if, if, if you're new to the Bible, we're so glad you're here. The book of Acts is written by Luke. It's the sequel to Luke's gospel. So Luke wrote one of the gospels. He wrote the book of Acts. It's the sequel, and it's the story of how after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, how the good news about him spread through the whole world, how he, how he chose men and women to go about in the Roman Empire speaking about Jesus, about About his death, how he died for our sins, how he rose from the dead, victorious over death, how he he forgives everyone who trusts in him, and this word goes out to all the ends of the earth, and, and one of the main preachers of it is the apostle Paul, who'd been an opponent of Christianity, and then Jesus met him, he changed him profoundly, and now Paul was going everywhere, just courageously and tirelessly preaching about Jesus. And what's leading up to this passage is that Paul has been in a city called Philippi, And he was in Philippi with his friend Silas. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas got beaten and thrown in jail. And so once they got out, they went to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, people started to respond to their preaching. And the Jews got jealous and ran Paul out of town. Just drove him out. So he went to Berea. And in Berea, he was preaching. And and they were starting to get some response. And so the Jews came from Thessalonica and they drove him out of Berea. So he had to just keep moving on. He went to Athens. And in Athens, nobody drove him out of town, but nobody really much cared what he had to say. And then he arrives in Corinth. And in Corinth, things are not going that well for him either, because he's come alone. Did you guys see in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul had sent his traveling companions back to those churches he'd been run out of to make sure that the Christians there were doing okay. So he was by himself in, this cor- in Corinth, far from home, and he was out of money. So it seems like in a lot of places where Paul goes, he's financially, materially supported. He's able to preach full time. But he comes to Corinth, and this is what we see. Look, he, he meets up with Priscilla and Aquila, who were Jews that had just come to town themselves, verse 3. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul was, he, was, he had no friends, he was out of cash, and so he was having to work making tents, just to support himself. He was, you know, using leather or woven cloth, something he's making tents, selling them, just to meet his own basic needs. And on top of that, he was alone, he was out of cash, and he wasn't seeing much response to the gospel. Look at verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried, tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And after Silas and Timothy arrived, he was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And what was their response? Verse 6. They opposed and reviled him. So week after week, Paul was going into the synagogue and he was trying to persuade them. He was saying, I know that you are waiting for the Messiah, for the Christ. You're waiting for the king to come and rescue you. And he's come. The Christ is Jesus. Trust in him. Turn to him. And they wanted nothing to do with it. And so he said that he would go and preach to the Gentiles. And that's when things start to turn around for Paul. So verse 7 he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So he just went, he left the synagogue, went next door, stayed with this guy. And as a result of that, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And you might think at this point, he's been preaching and teaching, working hard. He must be so encouraged that things are starting to change for him. But what Paul remembers is that the point at which people begin to trust in Jesus is right about the point at which he gets run out of town. That's been his experience recently, and that might be why this is the moment when Jesus appears to him and tells him, "Do not be afraid." Now, it can be hard for us, I think, reading the Book of Acts, to relate to Paul sometimes. Right? It's it's hard to relate to this man like standing before a crowd holding rocks in their hands wanting to end his life just boldly preaching about Jesus that's that's hard for us to relate to i think but can you relate to paul here do you ever find yourself discouraged by the lack of response when you talk to people about Jesus do you ever find yourself afraid you just you know you should speak and you just don't want to open your mouth right maybe Maybe you have a group of friends at work, you guys go out for lunch all the time, and whenever you're out at lunch and you're talking, and the conversation kind of turns to what's most important to you in life what what you believe about about God and eternity and and you see the opportunity and you just clam up and you just let it go right by, or maybe you know that your neighbor is a, a committed Muslim or Jehovah's Witness, they know that you're a Christian, but you just, you just kind of find a way of politely never talking about this massive area of life so important to both of you where you disagree so strongly, you just, you just let it go by. Or maybe you've tried for years to talk to your family about the gospel, and they've made it clear that just that kind of talk is not welcome. Just don't bring it up. We all have relationships where we know we ought to speak about Jesus. We have people that we love, who don't know Jesus, they don't know his forgiveness, his new life, the new heart that he gives. And we know we ought to tell them, but we're afraid. Why? We're afraid because we can't control the outcome, right? We don't know what's going to happen after we speak. We don't know how they're going to respond. We don't know what they're going to do. We, we think, if I say something, am I going to lose this friendship? Is this going to affect my promotion track at work. Are they going is this going to come around to bite me? Are they going to talk about this behind my back? Are they going to bring this back up to my face? We can't control what's going to happen, right? We're not in control of that, and so we fear. Not long ago, I was washing my car with my boys, who were four and two, um, and I was letting them hold the hose to rinse the soap off the car. And if you're a parent, you know what it looks like when A mischievous idea flies into your child's brain because their eyes lose focus suddenly they're not with you they're looking off into the distance this unconscious smile creeps on their face and then they turn and they look right at you and so I could see this happening to my child I knew I, I knew I just knew that he was about to turn the hose on me and so so I did what any one of you would do which is that I lunged for the part of the hose closest to me and I kinked it to cut off his ammo now If you're a Christian, God intends for you to be a conduit of the gospel, okay? Like that hose. The gospel is not supposed to stop with you. It's supposed to travel through you to the people in your life. God is, he is reconciling the world to himself. He wants more and more people to hear and to know. And fear of man, fear of how people will respond, it kinks the hose. It stops the gospel from getting through. And that's why Jesus says the second thing we need to see which is a solemn responsibility, go on speaking. Jesus doesn't just tell Paul not to be afraid. He tells him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And one of the, one of the remarkable things about this passage is that as you read it, you would never guess that Paul was afraid. You wouldn't guess that that was his temptation because he, because he wasn't indulging fear. He was speaking with boldness. So when Jesus came to him and said, go on speaking, it wasn't a rebuke. He was saying, keep doing what you're doing. Endure. Go on. It was an encouragement and a way of reinforcing what Paul already knew, that he had a solemn responsibility to speak the gospel. And that's what's behind this kind of weird interaction in verse 6. I wonder if this, this, if this stood out to you as we were reading. It's, it's a fairly harsh thing to say. And when they opposed and reviled him... Paul shook out his garments. It was a way of kind of saying, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm getting your dust off my clothes. And he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. Right? This is not, this doesn't come up often in our conversation with friends. Your blood be on your heads. I'm through with you. I'm innocent. But so what's going on here? Paul is almost certainly alluding to this. Um, passage in the Old Testament to something that God said to the prophet Ezekiel. And God said to Ezekiel that his job as a prophet was to be a watchman. Okay, so at the time, um, you know, people lived in these walled cities, right? They had big walls, think of Jericho, and they had enemies who would try to attack their cities, and so they put watchmen on the walls. And the watchman's job was to watch it's in the name, and to warn. So if the watchman sees trouble coming, sees an enemy coming, their job is to sound the alarm. And if they sound the alarm, if they say the enemy is coming, and nobody responds, nobody acts, and the enemy comes and takes the city, that's a tragedy. But the watchman is innocent because the watchman did his job. He said what he was supposed to say. But if he sees trouble coming and he doesn't speak, then their blood is on his head. And God said to Ezekiel, that's what a prophet is like. I'm going to tell you something, and you have to go tell these people. You have to tell them that, that they've turned from me, and my judgment is coming, and they need to turn back. And if you do that, if you tell them, then you're not responsible for how they respond. That's on them. But if you don't tell them, and they face judgment, that's on your head. Okay, That's a sober thing to think. And, and Paul understands his responsibility the same way. He's saying... I've now told you who Jesus is. I've, pr- I've tried to persuade you. I've reasoned with you. I've opened the Bible with you. I've tried to teach you about Jesus, and you won't hear it. This is no longer my responsibility. Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. If you reject Jesus, I've done all that I can. And this, this should sober us as we consider our responsibility, if you're a Christian, to the people around you who don't know Jesus. Now, we need to be clear. We don't, we don't all share Paul's call right? Paul was, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. God set him apart, called him specifically, gave him, I mean, his life's work was preaching about Jesus all over the world. We don't share his call, but we are all part of the same mission. This great commission that Jesus gave to the church to make disciples of all nations, that's for all of us. We've all inherited that mission. We're all responsible for making sure the gospel keeps moving forward we share Paul's mission and we share his message. So this good news that so transformed Paul's life, that compelled him to preach about Jesus through stoning and shipwreck and betrayal and rejection, that good news is no less good for us. Right? We were if you're a Christian, before you knew Jesus, you the Bible says that you were dead in sin, that you were cut off from God. You didn't know God and you didn't know that you didn't know God. We were we were helpless and alone. We were living for ourselves in rebellion against God. We had made ourselves God's enemies. And God in his compassion sent his son who who deserves praise and honor and glory and that son came to the world and chose instead rejection and death on a cross. He died in our place because he loves us so we could have new life, so we could be forgiven, so we could, we could know that we are God's children, that we will be with him forever. And God is reconciling the world to himself. He doesn't want it to stop here. God wants, he wants, he, it says, the Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. God wants to forgive. He wants to spread the good news about Jesus. And if if we know this, if we know that forgiveness and new life and eternal joy only come through trusting Jesus, and we know that people can only trust in Jesus through hearing the good news about him, is it right to keep it to yourself because you're afraid of what will happen if you say it? This is a message that begs to be told, and we have a responsibility to speak it. Now, I need to say right there, that I am right there with you, okay? I, I don't think it's a coincidence that I was preparing this sermon the week before I'm going to go on holiday to the States and be with a bunch of family and friends who don't know Jesus, right? This was, this was God talking to me this week about my responsibility because, to, to be honest with you, it is easier for me to do this from here. And I can think, well, oh, because, I, because I talk about Jesus from a pulpit— that that sort of lets me off the hook from talking about Jesus over coffee and in the car and over the fence. This, to me, is a lot less scary than that. But in the face of fear, Paul was helped to speak with boldness and endurance because he knew his responsibility to speak. So are you taking? I'm not saying you have to go out of here and find the first stranger you see and grab them by the shirt and talk to them about judgment. I'm saying, are you taking the responsibility of the, the opportunities that come in the course of life with the people you know and love and live with? Where are you stuck? Maybe for you the, the, the next step is just to be a little less self-conscious about seeing, seeming religious, right? Maybe just censor yourself a little bit less. So when you're talking about, you know, where you were the night before, instead of saying, Just saying, which would be true, I was out with friends. Say, I was out with friends from church. That's true. That costs you nothing to say and it just broaches the subject. Instead of saying, I'm going to go read on my lunch break, say, I'm going to go read the Bible on my lunch break. And just, just start getting comfortable being yourself around the people you work with around your friends. Maybe for you the next step is to begin asking good questions of your friends about what's most important to them, what they believe, why they believe it. Not only does it show that you actually care about what's important to them, but they'll ask you in return, and you get to share the hope that you have in Jesus. Maybe for you, the next step is, maybe you've been able to talk about Jesus to people, but you've just sort of, it's been kind of an FYI. You've never told people that there's a response, that the good news about Jesus requires that people should turn and trust in Jesus. And so maybe what, what, where you need courage is to, to press for a response, to say, what are you going to do about this good news about Jesus? Where does fear have you stuck? What's one next step? You can, I, I want you to feel free. You can tune me out for the next 20 seconds and, and make a note in your bulletin if there's something that you know that God is calling you to do. So remembering our responsibility to speak helps us with fear, but something else helps us even more. And that's why we need to see the third thing in this passage, an encouraging reality, the presence of Jesus. And when I say encouraging, I mean that very literally. It will put courage In you. Look at what Jesus says again in the vision when he appeared to Paul. He says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. The reason Paul doesn't need to be afraid, the reason he can go on speaking is because Jesus is with him. Now, Jesus had been with him all along, right? Jesus said to his followers at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when he was ascending into heaven, He said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is present with us wherever we go by his spirit. But Jesus doesn't just want, uh, he doesn't just want to be with us, he wants us to know that he is with us. So, um, some some of you parents can relate to this. One of our sons had a season in which he was regularly waking up in the middle of the night just out of his mind, terrified. He would wake up and he would he would be screaming and thrashing, totally inconsolable. And from the moment that I got into his bedroom, in an objective sense, he was safe. I wasn't going to let anything happen to him. He was going to be just fine. But I didn't just want to be with him. I wanted him to know that I was with him. I wanted him to know that I was there, that I wouldn't let anything happen to him, that he was safe, that it was just a dream. I wanted him to know that I would take care of him. And I think if you'd you'd ask Paul in Corinth, if you'd ask him, is Jesus with you? He would have said, yeah. Jesus promised to be with me. I trust that he is. I see that he's with me. I came here knowing nobody and immediately I met Aquila and Priscilla and now they're dear friends and co-workers in the gospel. That's Jesus at work. Um, Jesus connected me with this guy Titius and I went to his house and then because I was staying there, the synagogue ruler next door trusted in Jesus. All these people are trusting in Jesus. Yes, Jesus is with me. I, I, I trust that Jesus is with me. But look at the tenderness of Jesus. He came to Paul in a vision so that Paul would know deeply and vividly that his Savior is with him. And if you're a Christian, he wants you to know it too. Jesus is I mean, just remember, Jesus suffered the wrath of God on the cross. He was cut off from God on the cross so that we could know that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. He's with us, and he wants us to know he's with us because his presence is the source of our courage. A missionary in the Middle East, Max Stiles, says, and he's exactly right, boldness is not the lack of fear. It is faith in something bigger than our fears so that we appear fearless. So courage isn't fearlessness, right? I tell my boys all the time, you can be brave and scared at the same time. But being brave means choosing to do the right thing even though you're scared. It's not fearlessness. It appears fearless because what we trust is so much more real to us than what we fear. And it's what happened for Paul. I mean, look at what Jesus' presence meant for Paul. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. So it means two things for Paul. Jesus' presence means two things for him. It means protection and reception. It means that Jesus, Jesus is saying, Paul, you are safe. No one will attack you to harm you. I'm in control of that. And it also means reception. It means people are going to trust Jesus. He says, I have many people There are many in this city who are my people, which means there are people in this city that I have chosen to believe, that I have chosen for eternal life. And when you speak the gospel to them, they're going to respond to it. They're going to believe it. They're going to turn to me. They're going to become followers of me. There's lots of them in the city. Go on speaking. So you're safe, and, and the gospel will be received. It'll be believed. Now, these specific promises weren't made to us. They were specific to Paul and specific to Corinth. But we have promises like this. So if you're a Christian, nothing can happen to you when you share the gospel or any other time that isn't in the hand of God. Paul says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Jesus is supreme over all things. He works all things together. So your friends cannot be offended by the gospel and reject it unless Jesus wills it. Your family can't push you away unless the Savior wills it. You, your job cannot, cannot be put in jeopardy unless Jesus wills it. And if Jesus wills it, then it must be for your good. And He's supreme over he's supreme over our protection and he's supreme over the reception of the gospel when we share it. Jesus is the one who saves. He's the one who makes hearts new. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is just to speak, is to say who Jesus is and he's the one that makes it come alive in people's hearts. And he still does this. He still saves through the gospel. The reason we experience fear is because we're not in control of the future. We can't make happen what we want to happen, but the one who is in control of the future is with us. And he loves us, and he keeps his promises. So, finally and briefly, let's see a kept promise, protection, and reception. The heart of this passage is these words where Jesus speaks to Paul. But what follows from them shows that, that Jesus' words were absolutely true. Paul kept teaching the word. Look at verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul had never stayed anywhere that long, but he stayed because Jesus told him to keep speaking. And so he kept teaching the word, and as happened other places, the Jews did try to attack him, right? They brought him before the pro-council of the whole district, and, and this has happened other places, and so we think we know it's going to happen. We think what's going to happen is that they're going to make this accusation, and Paul's going to preach. There's going to be this big sermon, and God's going to use it. But, but what happens? Look what happens. Verse 14, But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, and then he just dismisses it, right? Because Jesus said, no one will attack you to harm you. And so Paul doesn't even have to defend himself, because Jesus is supreme over his protection, Jesus just said, we're going to just dismiss this. And it happened. And then Paul, verse 18, stayed many days longer. Nothing happened to him because Jesus kept his promise. And Jesus did have many people in the city. So Paul was teaching. He was preaching. He stayed many days. And in verse 18, it says that he took leave of the brothers, the brothers and the sisters. He took leave. When Paul left, there was a church in Corinth. There had not been a church before. But when Paul left, Enough people had trusted in Jesus that there was a community there loving Jesus, worshiping him, speaking about him. Paul wasn't, for the first time in a long time, he wasn't driven out of town, right? He, he worked until there was a community of believers and then he, he left and he just moved on to the next place. He went to Kincrea and he went to Ephesus. He left Priscilla and Aquila there. He went back to Caesarea, which is the port near where he's from. He went to Jerusalem to see the church. He went down to Antioch and then he left there and he kept going through Galatia and Phrygia. So the great result is that, you know, there was this moment when Paul was tempted to be afraid. He didn't want to speak. Jesus was with him. He gave him courage. He kept speaking, and the gospel kept advancing through the Roman Empire, across continents, across oceans, through history, until it came to you, until it came to me, until it came to us this morning. Listen, the presence of Jesus frees us from fear to keep speaking about Jesus. That's what God is showing us in Acts chapter 18. The secret of Paul's endurance, his, his courage in the face of opposition, it wasn't a superpower. It was a sovereign savior. It was Jesus with him. Paul was weak. He was tempted to be afraid. But Christ's power was perfected in his weakness. So here's the danger. The danger is that you will have an opportunity to speak and you'll look inside yourself and ask the question, am I strong enough for this? Can I, can I be brave enough to say what I need to say? What, what happens if they ask a question I don't understand? What happens, What happens? I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm strong enough to deal with what's going to happen if I open my mouth. And, and the, the danger is that you look inside yourself for strength when that's not where the strength ever comes from. The strength comes... From Jesus being with you, he can give you the boldness to speak. He can give you the wisdom to answer. He can give you the courage. It comes from him, not from inside you. He's strong enough to use whatever happens when you share the gospel for your good. And he's strong enough to save someone you think in a million years would never trust him. So the presence of Jesus frees us from fear to be bold, not fearless. Not that we're fearless, but that we're not stopped by fear from speaking, So where do you need that kind of help? Where are you stuck in speaking? Who in your life that you love and you know, and you know that they need to hear about this Savior who came from heaven to rescue and forgive and give new life and change hearts? Who needs to hear it? And where are you stuck by fear? And, and the presence of Jesus frees us not just to speak, but to keep speaking, With patience, with endurance. So who in your life have you written off who they're too hard? They're they're not listening, they're not receptive, this is never gonna happen for them. Who have you written off that you should be instead praying for and patiently loving and trusting that Jesus is the one who can change their heart? Whose face is in your mind? What's the next step that God is calling you to? If if this is an area where you'd like prayer, where you know that there's a conversation you need to have, you know there's a relationship you need to invest in, there's someone you want to see God work in their heart, please come while we're singing. Tim and Marna would love to pray for you in that specific area, for God to give fresh courage, for God to work in someone's life. Who knows what God will do this week through you trusting his presence and opening your mouth to speak about Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, this is a weighty, this is a weighty thing. We want to speak about Jesus, not in a way that is angry and judgmental and self-righteous, but full of love and humility and compassion, knowing that life is found in him and that he offers it freely. We want people in our lives to experience the life of that comes in Christ. Lord, you suffered on the cross in love for us. You rose from the dead, a victorious over death for us. And we want to see our friends and our family know that and trust that and rejoice in that. And we know that you want to use us. And so, we offer ourselves to you. It's scary. It's uncomfortable, but we offer ourselves to you. Would you Would you use us? Would you be with us? Thank you that you're with us. Be with us and use us to speak about Jesus to people who need to hear about him. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.